Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David College. Why are the kings of the Europa League struggling in the Champions League? It's severe later for the Andalusians after another group stage loss. Ajax, on the other hand, are the real Dutch deal. So what's Eric Ten Hag been doing so right? And there's only one unbeaten team in the Bundesliga this season. And it's not the usual suspects. Are you down for a Black Forest party? David, what's going on with Sevilla? Doing well in the domestic league? Several times champions in the Europa League, but struggling in the Champions League. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, it partly makes sense. It partly doesn't. They're one point off the top uh, in La Liga, game in hand, uh, behind leaders, uh, Real Sociedad. And uh, yeah, I think games just get a little bit out of their comfort zone for them, I think, in the Champions League. I think in Liga, they uh, they have a lot more quality compared to most of the teams in the league. They also just know that league so, so well in terms of how to manage it. I think sometimes there's a lot of anomalies when they're playing in the Champions League. I think there's a lack of control. Uh, manager Julian Lopetegui, he uh, he said that uh, it's interesting. They're playing games with their hearts and not their heads. They're getting a bit too emotional in games. Um, good luck telling that to uh, a team from Seville, the most passionate <laughs> city in Spain. With a load of Argentinians. <laughs> yes, it? yeah, exactly. Uh, a, yeah. Lot tr- a lot of citric acid <laughs> in them as well, isn't there? <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I think it's still, and I mean, maybe I'm biased. He's one of my favourite players of all time. But I think ever since Ever Benega left, They've had issues, I think, especially in these top top level games, in terms of control, in terms of uh, you know being in the ascendancy in games. I think a player like Benega has allowed them to do that in the past. Now, in the first season after his departure, I think everyone played at a very very high level. Joan Jordan came in, played at an extremely high level. Others did as well. I think that was unsustainable. They've dropped off a level this season. Those players, and this is why they've been a little bit more exposed in these bigger games, these Champions League games. Um, they don't have that conductor, that director in midfield like Benega used to to just control games, calm games down, and, and stem the flow if things are getting a bit too out of hand. They got caught up in a game last night. It was basically a gunfight, and Lopetegui hates gunfights. He, he likes he's a bit more slow, methodical with how he wants. 
to control games. That, it was a really unusual game, um, the home game against Lille. And, you know, theoretically, they were still in control of their Champions League destiny, weren't they? Beat Lille yeah. and they were on course. Um, and they took the lead through a bit of a gift of a, a goal after a, a mix-up at the, the back. But the, the goal seemed to have quite a negative effect on them, I, I felt. They stopped pressing. They just sat off. They sort of withdrew into themselves. And they had none of the sort of energy that you really associate Sevilla with. You know, mm. you look at the running that players like Lucas Acampos do. You know, mm. they're a team that put other teams under pressure and they didn't really do any of that. And it, it felt as if Lille were allowed to play themselves into the game. Now, Lille played pretty well last weekend at Paris Saint-Germain on the Friday night. Um, they played, in the words of Jocelyn Gouvenet, their coach, 70 good minutes and then it went out the window. Whereas here we played well for 90 or 98 minutes. But I, I, I would agree with that to a certain extent, but I do feel that they're invited on yeah. a little bit by Sevilla. And uh, you know what you're saying about the emotion of it and maybe they were struggling to deal with that or maybe Lopetegui believes they're struggling to deal with that. I think the enormity of the Champions League, it feels like it's getting to them a little mm -hmm. bit because th they don't do any of the good things they do in the league. And you, yeah. look at, you look at this group, this should be a nice easy-ish group to bed your way. You could not ask anything more from a Champions League draw if you're severe and you're looking to get to that next level because you look at uh, Salzburg, who is still top of the group remarkably, despite losing at Wolfsburg this week, and Lille, who've been pretty much out of nick mm -hmm. for most of this this season and struggling to cope with the departure of Christophe Galtier, even though there wasn't really the exodus of players. But it felt like it was... It was almost an occasion that was to fluff up Lil's confidence, and yeah. it, it really worked. No, it has. It's been it's been directed at Lopetegui quite a bit actually in his career. That sometimes he's a bit too risk averse, a bit too negative. Mm. Um, I think that was uh, prominent here. I think Sevilla can get lured into that because they 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 just don't want to make mistakes, so they kind of don't do anything. In turn, they're kind of like, oh God, we don't want the ball, we don't want to do that. And I think it's away from the, if we don't take the ascendancy, if we don't try and take control, then, oh, we maybe won't make a mistake and the opponent can't jump in. If you look at that, um, I think it was on the second goal, uh, Renato um, for Lille started off so, so deep. And he's the sort of player who can really, really get at Sevilla. He's so, so dynamic the way mm. he runs from deep areas. And Sevilla just stood off him and he was allowed, the ball was allowed to be worked out to a corner who cut in. Um, and, and yes, Sevilla do that sometimes. They just sit off and sit off and they haven't really got that pressing about them at times. And when they don't, I think it all goes, you know, flat. You're right. They, they had their warnings, didn't they? I mean, there was that penalty that should have been given before the penalty that actually yeah. was. And Delaney would have given that away and he actually did give away the second penalty. It's a bit like, you know, that thing that Eddie Izzard talks about where she was saying you, you sort of, if, if, you're, if you're in a horror film and there are two paths and you walk down one and one's da, 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 and one's dun, 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 dun. <laughs> don't walk down the path where it goes dun, 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 dun. and that's exactly what they did yeah send somebody else down that path but is it is it david as andy hinted at earlier on that uh severe have got a little bit too much respect for the champions league I think so. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. And I also, I just think they're a little bit afraid. I really, really do. I think this is new territory for them. And this is the problem with coaches who I think are more, you know, focused on control and defensive solidity that sometimes they can go too much that way. And in, by turn, they give the game up to the other team. And so that's what teams do. Do you think, David, then, that this is maybe a sort of clue to why Lopetegui 
didn't work at Real Madrid. It was a big, big factor. I think there were certain things he was doing that uh, were, were problematic and I think that was one of them. He needed to have a lot more positivity. I think he's got quite a lot of positive players at Sevilla as well. But he does, I, yeah. I think they could probably play... I mean, Joan Jordan, again, we'll go back to him. I think he's another one. I think he's trying to use him as a certain type of midfielder, that midfielder that does distribute. He, um, Lopetegui sides love having the ball in wide areas. He loves pushing his fullbacks up quite high and the centre midfielder is getting the ball out there. If you watch a lot of Sevilla's play, it doesn't actually go through the middle. And I think Joan Jordan is better as a box-to-box midfielder, a bit more dynamic, but he isn't really allowed because, again, that would potentially open them up to counter-attacks and such and I think that's why Lopetegui doesn't really do it and that's why everything's just they're just too safe and risk-averse I think they can take the you know I think they can be a bit more positive in games I don't get the fear factor though because we're talking about champions of the Europa League Mm. and you know it's a different tournament but nevertheless you've dealt with um You've dealt with football out of your comfort, out of your domestic comfort zone already. Mm. So why would you? You would expect the champions of the Europa League to at least be able to make it through the group stages of the Champions League, wouldn't you? Well, especially this group, I think. Especially when you look at their position in La Liga, I don't think it's off the table that they win La Liga this season. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're favourites, but I would say it's possible. And if you go back to the start of last season, David, I think you look at Sevilla and you think the squad is good. It's got options. It's, in fact, it's really good. It's, it's got options all over the pitch. So if they get a couple of injuries or sus- suspensions, that they'll probably be fine. There are no issues with fatigue. And people were saying at the start of last season, the one thing they're lacking is a real centre forward. Now, halfway through last season, Yusuf and Naziri really settles. And all of a sudden, he's linked to Premier League clubs like West Ham, etc., etc. Really looks the part. This season as well, they've got an upgrade in the target man position because Rafa Mir is a much better option than Luke de Jong. For, for a yep. start, he's a proven goal scorer in the top flight. I mean, he scored a, a stack of goals for Wesco, who were doomed to relegation through all of last season. He's started to really hit his straps as well. So they, they do have those options. I think they can afford to be bold, but we've seen it time and time again. Teams that do well in the Europa League and struggle to make a lasting impression in the Champions League. I think Zenit St. Petersburg can fall into that category. Shakhtar Donetsk, to a, a lesser extent, okay, they've had a few like, little mini runs, but they're in that same sort of strange netherworld of like, you know, we talk about teams that are, you know, too good for the Championship and not good enough for the Premier League. It's it's almost as if they're caught between the two stools. But, you know, we, we, we talk about how well-invested and... Um, What's what Sevilla have got in terms of options, David? I mean, it, is is that belief the thing that's going to stop them winning La Liga as well? I think so. Yeah, yeah, they just haven't been there, and I, I don't think they've got that kind. You know, when you have that fear factor where you, you do, where you basically don't have any fear. But I think they are. They overthink things too much. I love Lopetegui. I think he's a great coach, really. But mm. I think he sometimes does overthink things, and I think that's going to hinder them at the end of the season. I could see them potentially being in a good position, with maybe eight, five to eight games to go. And then Lopetegui just reverting to this almost this Champions League system that we've seen now mm. and sitting in too deep when they could have been a bit more positive. And that eventually is what stalls them. But we've seen so many teams um, in domestic leagues being very, very strong and then going to the Champions League and overthinking things. Pep Guardiola and Man City have been guilty of it now for, for several years. You'd think, oh, just carry your domestic form over, carry the way yeah, you play that. And, that's and, true. and your yeah. team selection's over to that as well. And then they don't. And it's the most infuriating thing ever. Of course it is. And it, it's caught the interest of certainly one of our listeners, uh, Tanky Taylor, Soldier Spy, 
who has tweeted us um, asking, is this starting to look like another missed opportunity already for Sevilla in Europe and in Spain? It almost seems as if they're making a habit of this kind of behaviour. In terms of the draw, it, it, it totally is. Like I said, they couldn't have asked for more. And the fact that Salzburg have lost a lot of players over the last couple of years and Karim Adeyemi will be the next one. He'll he'll be in the Bundesliga this next season, whether it's at Dortmund or, or, or Bayern. Um, and they've had so many strokes of luck as well. We talked about Wolfsburg being out of Nick, uh, Lille um, being out of Nick. And I, I, I find it extraordinary, really. That first game where they conceded three penalties in the first half Ridiculous game, against yeah. Salzburg and they still ended up drawing the right. game and you thought, right, this is your warning. You've, you've got to be able to take yeah. it on from there. But they've looked those gift horses in the mouth. But I just wonder, I know, I know it's sort of cyclical with teams from a certain league dominate. I don't think it's just down to do with money. I've, what interests me is at the moment, we've seen a couple of La Liga teams who we expect to do well in Europe, David, this week. Sevilla and Atletico particularly. Obviously, Barcelona are a special case. Mm-hmm. But Sevilla and Atletico, they look so ill-equipped, so short of the required standard. Whereas domestically, they have been pretty good for a while now. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you look at the league, it's it's tighter than ever at this stage. Um, you look in previous years, and maybe that's where it is. Maybe they're maybe they've got one eye on the league and thinking, all oh, right, the league's closer now, so we can focus a lot of attention on that. Previously, they were kind of like, oh, Sevilla would be like, oh, right, we've, we're fifteen points behind, we can just really focus on the Europa League, and that is largely why they've done so well, Spanish teams, because they they go away from the league where there's pretty much nothing much to play for other than the Champions League spots, uh, Europa League spots. Getting there, Villarreal and Sevilla would, would have last few years looked at that and gone, okay, right, we'll get in there no matter what. We've, we've got enough quality, we'll get by in games. But then, so then in the Champions League and the Europa League, they'll focus more attention there. And, and they'll just think, oh, we can, we can play a bit stronger here. We, we can potentially win this. We can't win La Liga, but we can potentially win the Europa League. And look, Villarreal won the Europa League. Sevilla won the do, Europa League. Do they, approach it with a, do they approach the Champions League with a different strategy than they would approach their domestic games? Do, yeah. Are the tactics... Different, very different. Yeah, I think so. I think they, like I said, I think they go a lot more defensive. I think they overthink things a bit more. They, they, they don't play to their true strengths. Sevilla is not going to carry over the momentum. I think from a game against uh, a Cadiz where they've maybe won three 0 straight into the Champions League against a game against a Wolfsburg, they'll they will change it up. Um, when they should play to their strengths. And they should always play. Every team should play to their strengths, but sometimes they just don't. I wonder if there's a certain defeatism to it actually, whether there are clubs of a certain level. So I, I guess you would look at Sevilla and say they're sort of your A- minus in terms of European hierarchy. Then, then they're, a, they're an excellent team. They're an excellently run club, but they're not quite elite. And, yeah. you know, Atletico were a mould breaker, really, because they managed to go through that glass ceiling uh, from a, a similar level, running a similar debt to Valencia. And now they're in this mega stadium They've got a wage bill that could make a statue cry, and they're they're, they're stacked with with great players. Which I mean, their their struggles in the Champions League are a different story. But I think it's interesting when you look at some of the other big clubs, albeit from so-called or so perceived lesser leagues um, in Europe. You look at Benfica and the team they picked at Bayern this week, and there was a sense that Jorge Jesus was thinking, you know what, they're going to belt us anyway. I think I might give a few of my guys a breather. We've got a big game against Braga at the weekend. 
That, that to me is uh, George Jesus has been there before and has been criticised by Benfica fans about that before because of, of course they've got an incredible history in this competition if they haven't won it in 61, 62 Benfica today are not Benfica today without those wins in the, in, in the 60s so you know their history in the, in, in, in the European Cup is real but I think uh, like that that sense of it can't be done that's awful I, I think that's absolutely awful that sense that Okay, if you're not Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Bayern, you're not going to win it. You know, the, the sense that even PSG aren't in that top bracket is after it true, all though? the money they spent. Is it true? Uh, you know, it's defeatist, I know, and it's demoralising, particularly if you're a spectator and a fan, but is it true? Um, there's, there's something in it, and I think especially when you come out of, well, we were talking about Benfica, when you, you think of that first um, game against Bayern that they played, where they gave them a good game for 70 minutes, it was still nil-nil and then they end up losing 4-0. That, that is the sort of game that can have that effect on your, on, on your psyche, I, th- I think. Um, but having said that, we've seen in the last couple of years that the way to do stuff in the Champions League is, is to dare. I don't want to get all Tottenham on this, but it, it, it really is. The dare is to, <laughs> dare is to do. Trust me, you're not getting all t- Tottenham because they haven't dared to do anything for a while. <laughs> Sorry, just but, my, but my impression. W- when we get to our no- next topic of discussion, we'll work out how far being daring can get you. Todavía Perotti, el centro con la zurda, Rakitic. Le pega Rakitic, la buscaba. ¡Va! Ajax, on the other hand, uh, they're shaking up the Champions League again. And you, you talked to Benfica a moment or two ago, Andy, and about their history in the Champions League or the European Cup. Ajax, I mean, it doesn't get more uh, synonymous, does it? The moment we hear Ajax, not only are we thinking of Johan Cruyff or whatever, we're thinking of Champions League because we're not that familiar with the Dutch domestic league, but they've done, they have arguably boxed above their weight for generations. There's there's a present there as well as a history. That's that's the thing with, with Ajax. And they are quite comparable to, say, a Benfica because they have, a, well, I was going to say a similar budget, probably a, a slightly lesser budget, actually. Um, but really, what they've done this week in becoming the first Dutch team to win their first four group games in a, a Champions League group, I mean, just take that in. That's a pretty fantastic achievement straight off. Is the way they've done it. They've played such brave, brash football. And it's exactly what they did when they got to the semi-final and to the brink of the final in 2019. And I just feel, without getting all sanctimonious and what is good for football about it, I mean, this is good for football, isn't it? A team from not one of the biggest leagues, not just doing well, but going out there and saying, look, we'll, we'll take you on. I love that. It's fantastic. And to think over those two games, and of course Dortmund played more than half the game last night with with, with, with 10 men, that's a different story. But over those two games against Dortmund, they've scored seven and Dortmund have scored one. And just take that in. That's amazing. I think you have to have that approach. I don't think the bigger teams don't like, they don't like it when teams come at them. Mm. It just because it doesn't happen enough, quite frankly. a lot. Of, they're so used to teams sitting off them. And yes, there is that danger that you might get smashed. But... I think a lot of smaller clubs have got probably got a better quality than than they think they have. They would have had many years ago, I think. So they can, I think they're capable of it. You look at Ajax. I'm just looking at their numbers this season. 
37 goals scored and two conceded in the Eredivisie plus 35 goal difference <laughs> 14 goals scored and two conceded in the Champions League plus 12 goal difference and a perfect record in the Champions League qualified for the last 16 already that's amazing I think it's astounding and this is a team that you would say has got no real big stars I think it's a very balanced unit you've got a few experienced heads in there what they've done a few younger players as well of course with Ajax they always will so they've been sensible in that sense as well they haven't gone all one way they haven't gone complete youth team players mm. they've noticed that they've had, had certain more experienced heads um, and then they've balanced it together and that's why I think they're so impressive right now and then Ten Hag I'm sure we're going to get on to as well is another one I think he epitomises that balance I don't think he's too much the old Ajax way and he's not too much his own way he's again meshed the two together really nicely Yeah, sh- Should we talk about um, the manager Eric Den Haag then Andy, what has he done to either give the team the confidence, but certainly get them to where they are at the top of their uh, group stage? Well, he's got a philosophy, but he's also got a, a certain steel to him because part of his coaching upbringing is is, is, is working at Bayern Munich. Mm. And that's why when people um, talk about his future and could he end up in the Premier League, I, I don't see that at all. I, I see maybe Spain maybe Germany for him. Why would he not appear in the Premier League? Well, obviously he'd get the offers, um, but I just think in terms of his footballing philosophy, it is more suited to to Germany or Spain. That that's, and I think that's where he sees himself more importantly as as, wow. as well. I mean, there's been the suggestion that him and Mark Overmars might might come as a package. Um, th- that could happen, but I. They're not so wedded to each other that that's necessarily a, a, a requirement. But what I think so interesting about Ten Hag as well is the fact that this is not a glorious era for Dutch coaches at all. You know, we think of the Netherlands as being, you know, Europe's Europe's Brazilians and the, the brains mm. of European football philosophy. But actually, at the moment, you know, you look at like the last however many coaches of the Netherlands national team, they've not exactly been swimming in names. And Ten Hag has said, well, look, I'm in the thick of my club career. I'm out. I'm, I'm not interested in, in that as things stand at the moment. You know, of course, he could take it on a, at some stage, but it's, it's not imminent by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, they've gone back to, um, they've, they've, they've gone back to Louis van Gaal. And before that, um, Frank de Boer, just because he's Dutch and free, and, you know, before that, Ronald Koeman, just because he got fired by Everton and, and, and it happened to be there. And of and course, that, that worked out very, very well for them because uh, Ronald Koeman repurposed the Netherlands national team and got them into a, a good place. But Ten Hag is outstanding because of his results, but also because he's in a very, very small field of... Dutch coaches of a reasonable age at, at, at the moment. And he, he has done a great job. I also think he's had an enormous advantage off that great 2018-2019 season because it, we, we talked about the homegrown players. What's so important about that season where they come from second qualifying round to almost the final of the Champions League? It's important because at that point... Ajax are still re-establishing themselves in the Champions League, a process that started under Frank de Boer. Now, bear in mind, go back a few years, and they went five years without being in the Champions League, which is remarkable, really, for a club of that size. 
they're a mess. There was all this infighting between the Cruyffians and the others who thought I actually become a more modern thing. So you, you get this 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 point, right? And Frank de Boer, I know it feels like he's largely discredited now, but I think because of his time in England. Well, because of because of various times, because because of picking the wrong jobs and because of getting it horribly wrong in those jobs. So whether it be Inter is ten minutes at Palace, Atlanta United, uh, or, or the Netherlands national team. Was it team. up to ten minutes at Palace? It's been a <laughs> nine and a half, let's call it. <laughs> and the, the the thing is that when De Boer took over for the for the first time, it his, his first game actually was um, an, an away game at Milan in the Champions League. Switched Ajax back to 4-3-3 and said, let's be brave, let's be front foot. And even when they got drawn in these Champions League groups from hell against a good Barcelona or a Manchester City, they were always front foot. And that helped to give them the platform for what they they did in 2018, 2019. That's a Dutch way as well, you know, front and foot national team and club team. And it's, it? it's interesting that his Netherlands tenure sort of run aground because he moved away from that, which I think that so many things had gone wrong for him that he lost faith in what he was he was doing. But taking it on to Ten Hag and the 2018, 2019 version of Ajax, what is worth remembering about that is... We've, we've talked already about the Eredivisie not being one of the biggest leagues in Europe at the moment. It's, it's, it's diminished. Um, it's, it's not big in terms of TV deal. If you get to the semi-finals of the Champions League, you have got God-level money. And on top of that, Sales. At, at the end of that, exactly, they yeah. sell players in De Jong and De Ligt who are pure profit. Now, with that money, unless you totally cock it up, you're going to dominate the Eredivisie for the next six seven years. The money that PSV Eindhoven have spent on fees and wages trying to catch up with them, which has failed, obviously, is extraordinary. They've, they've spent a lot over the last year and a half, two years, PSV. And now you look at Ajax, they've just played it smartly. They've, they've not done anything too crazy since 2019. They've, they've built in a very sustainable way. Yeah. Um, since that game, so the 2018-2019, sorry to stick to that, against Spurs... They've uh, actually sold players for 361 million euros. Wow. They've spent half of that 141 million. Now, by contrast, Spurs, who they faced in the semi-final, who went into the final, of course, they've spent 325 million and brought in 110 million player sales. Wow. What a massive difference. And we all know as well, Spurs, the issues that they had with their coaches as well. So it's interesting to see the two directions that each club has gone in since that semi-final. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, but I think the fact that they've gone back to that that way of, of of playing again in the Champions League, and they're, they're so gutsy on the road, especially. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I think that's that's really impressive. It would have been easy for them, having battled to get it back level at Dortmund for quite a long time. That once they got the equaliser by Dusan Tadic and his poor balls after he slid into the goalpost, of course. Um, it would have been easy to settle for the draw. They were never doing that for a, 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 a second, and Anthony was. Phenomenal, yeah. In this, simply stunning. He really is, and what an interesting player to have—a right-sided player uh, who does quit on his left foot, and mm. it gives him such a brilliant advantage with the fact that he can be able to cross in swinging. Mm. 
and it causes so many problems. You see goalkeepers every yeah. time, and he, he got three assists. I think he's on eight for the season potentially now in in all competitions. Yeah, for the class and one, he went outside as as, yeah. as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. he? He was he was the one who got Hummel sent off. Well, I, I say like he got him. Hummel's got Hummel sent off, but um, yeah, that was yeah. that was that was absolutely absurd. And, he, and he did he did very well to get himself out of the way of that. Because yeah. it, it could have been pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good sell from Anthony. Uh, Would Ajax's fortunes in the Champions League improve if, and I know it's been discussed many times, if the Dutch and the Belgian leagues did come together and made a stronger league than what they have individually at the moment? Would it make a difference? I think that's a good question, actually, whether, whether that would make it easier or more difficult. Because presumably, it would presume, provide higher intensity games for, for, for Ajax. The question is, does that sharpen them? Does that knacker them? You know, you know go, going go, going point. back to the Arsene Wenger thing, where he used to say it's really difficult to to win the win the Premier League as a London club because you're playing like 12 derbies a season. Ibrahimovic houdt Mendes da Silva weg bij de bal en heeft hem nu zelf. Ibrahimovic van het linkerbeen weer naar rechts, toch links. Ibrahimovic. Oh ja, de baas over de bal en de verdediging van Nap. And with heel veel beheersing, slaat dan Ibrahimovic 5-1. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM. Abroad in Japan is the Stack Podcast that brings you a taste of life in Japan. Recently, Chris Broad was joined by NHK contributor and legendary video game streamer Pete for a chat about his life as a TEFL teacher. 
I'd one time taught a woman who was still pregnant, and I had to teach her stomach. What? Yes, and so... Wait, wait, what? She came in, seven months pregnant, and, <laughs> and they were like, no, she wants you to just to talk to her stomach. <laughs> so I was sitting there giving instruction, very specifically. No. She held her tummy, and she said, I think he's getting it. And I thought, oh, oh dear God. Just bizarre. Search Abroad in Japan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. New episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. I do love talking about a team that is flying high, and it does seem for the alliteration that Freiburg flying high has got a certain ring to it. It feels like it should be Freiburg flying free. Yeah, if you're Doesn't a Leonard Skinner fan, yeah, free yeah. bird, free Freiburg bird flying free. Yeah, yeah, it does. How you can't do this without the riff. Well, Come on. You can, you can, you can. But usually we expect at this point to, for Bayern Munich to be dominating the Bundesliga. Do we not? Where have Freiburg come from? It's an extraordinary story, really. I mean, they're in third position in the Bundesliga, but the only unbeaten team in it. Um, given their budget, their stature, it is absolutely remarkable. Um, they've they've been Dortmund already this season. Um, got a draw with 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 Leipzig, and in terms of the team, there's really not that many surprises. In terms of the coach, there's not that many surprises. Christian Streich is by far the longest serving coach in the Bundesliga. And a very loved part of the the Bundesliga furniture as well. Great coach and a great enthusiast on the touchline and a great character as well. He's someone who doesn't restrict himself to, to football in, in press conferences. He'll talk about um, social matters, about uh, the integration of refugees, about what whatever takes his is fancy and he tries to quite demythologize the aura around footballers as well which is something I really like about him in a way I think he's got quite a lot in common with say a, a Gareth Southgate so without being political he believes in the importance of decency and being part of society which I think is is something very very laudable in a football leader, be it a, a, a coach or a captain or a, a, a board member. So he's someone who will really enable them to keep their feet on the ground while they're doing well, because at the moment it's kind of a dizzying time for them. Not just because he's going well on the pitch, but off the pitch, they've kind of changed dimension as well. They've just left the Dreisam Stadion or the Schwarzwald Stadion as it was for sponsorship purposes, which was a real sort of low-key pearl of the Bundesliga. Um, chocolate box type stadium a which, Black Forest ghetto chocolate box let's call it that <laughs> and it was somewhere that was especially in the winter months unbelievably cold and inhospitable we're talking sort of uh, minus seven even Bayern don't like going there sort of, sort of business and now they've they've moved up a level um, to their new stadium the Europa Park Stadion um, they've just won their first game there at home to Kreuter Fürth and in normal circumstances, it would just be a, a standard win over a team that aren't going to win very much this season. You know, even Freiburg expect to beat them. As you know, the sporting director uh, Jochen Sire said afterwards, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to win these games. You just have to win these games. And um, 
yeah, it, it, it felt sort of special because it was their first win at the the new place. Now, Christian Strike said, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still getting used to this place. Uh, you know, it's a game we should have won and I'm not ready to get carried away with this because I still can't believe we've left the old place. Now, when they had their last game where they thrashed Freiburg at the Dresam, that that they were they were all greeting the fans afterwards and Strike was in tears because as he said I came here to work and before I knew it it had become half my life <laughs> you know he's been there since the late 90s on the, on, on the coaching staff in various capacities he was with the under 19s before moved up and yeah before he became the the the, the head coach he was he was, he was, he was assistant um, to, 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 to Robin Dutt and yeah, it's 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 great it's great for him. Also, what's particularly tantalising is going into this weekend, if they can get the outright club club record for an unbeaten run in the Bundesliga, if well, they don't get beaten at Bayern. You know what's going to happen, David. You know the jinx is on them this weekend. This is a weekend where they could possibly break a record, but. There's a lot of pressure and not least from their opponents who think, well, we're not going to be another team that doesn't beat you this season. Yeah, and Bayern just ruin everything. <laughs> Always, yeah. all the time, don't they? Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it, I tell you what I really like about them. It's Admiral as well. It's the, the team that they've got is just a classic unit. Nobody really stands out. Nobody is what you'd say again, the outstanding star. It's just a really, really good uh, unit. It's old fashioned, you know. It's old fashioned way of playing it, it, football, it, isn't it? it, it With it no really stars, is. no yeah. stars. Solid, reliable. Just you know, very, very dull words like that. But, but yeah, but it's, it's well run as well. Yeah. I mean, that they lost full uh, sprung technique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're staying away from full sprung. This is all very organic. <laughs> <laughs> um, that they um, they lost Baptiste Santa Maria, who was terrific for them I thought last season in in in, in midfield because he, he he got a big offer from Ren and decided he wanted to go back to to France so they had to replace him and they made quite an ambitious replacement in get, getting Maxi Egerstein in from Werder Bremen who's a really positive sort of of, of player and there is flair there as well I mean you, you look at some of those players like they, they've all got something to prove because Maxi Egerstein, he's been on the brink of something at Werder Bremen for ages and it's not quite happened. We look at um, Vincenzo Grifo, who went off to Borussia Mönchengladbach, didn't really work for him, came back, really creative player. Uh, Nils Pedersen, um, the very, very reliable goal scorer off the bench. He scored more goals as a sub than any player in Bundesliga history. And he's already got a couple of couple of late goals um, including the winner at Hertha Berlin a couple of weeks ago um, off the bench. It didn't quite work out for him at Bayern, um, despite the fact he's, he's made it to the national team. And, I, I, you know, everyone loves to bat for an underdog, mm. don't they? And it, it just does feel really special. Now, the last time they went to Bayern, as, as I said in um, my article about them for The Guardian this week, um, they... Um, the last time they went to Bayern with the chance of really doing something, it was the last day of, I think it was 2016-17 season, where Ancelotti had just won the league with Bayern. You know where he did that duet um, at the with Anastasia at the town hall? It was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. Anyway, she also did a concert on the pitch at half-time. Now, Freiburg went there. If they'd have won, and Bayern already won the league, of course, um, 
they could have got themselves into the Europa League. So half time, they're like, come on, one big push. Let's go for it, lads. They get out there and they can't start because Anastasia is still singing. <laughs> and then once she's finished singing, yeah. that, that she's sort of receiving the acclaim and all the rest of it. And they've got to shift the stage off the pitch. In the end, Arjen Robin starts lifting bits of the stage off the pitch. He's got so, the hump. <laughs> so the game can actually carry on. And obviously, Bayern then did what they do and went on and won 4-1. But it, it kind of felt like, on that occasion, like Freiburg had that opportunity and it felt like they were encroaching on someone else's party. They were like the uninvited guests. Whereas now, maybe this can be their moment okay it would still be a an incredible result if they were to go and get even a draw i i, I think a, a bind despite their unbeaten starts the season but they don't let in goals i mean they've let in seven in the bundesliga this season which is by far the lowest no one else is in in single figures and the other thing we've got to remember is going back a couple of weeks ago Bayern. well not even a couple of weeks ago a week and a bit ago Bayern getting absolutely thrashed in the cup. Mm. 5-0 at Borussia Mönchengladbach. It's not happen again. With their full team. With their full team. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it could have been worse. So... It's not going to happen again this season. Bayern, you know Bayern, that. Bayern, Bayern, can be, Bayern can be beaten on their day. They can be beaten. Do, do you think they will be beaten, David, this weekend? Um, no, I think I think no, no. I, I think Bayern are going to win, and Freiburg are going to be left outside alone. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they've done well. They've done well this season to come from where they are, I suppose. And um, I suppose they're setting an example to teams from all over Europe as well, who don't stand a chance of ever winning their leagues or getting into the bigger tournaments. So good for them. They're flying high, Freiburg. Boots. Ramdane, Wolfsburg ebnet den Weg. Alle Freiheiten für den Sportclub. Und Freiburg tanzt sich ein für Europa. Breisgau Brasilianer als Jubelkünstler. Just to remind you, you can get in touch with us at any time during the course of the week. You can tweet us individually at Dotson Adebayo, at Andy Brassel and at David Jacker. David J-A-C-A uh, or tweet us at Football Ramble as well as uh, several of you have been doing. This tweet, gentlemen, from Nicholas on email. Oh, I said tweet and he sent an email. Wonderful. We love your emails. Retro. I'm into it. You can email us. Show at footballramble.com as well. So Nicholas's email says, can we get an update on how Schalke are getting on? Sad to see such a giant of German football relegated from the Bundesliga. I'm going to see them in January in Gelsenkirchen and was wondering if Andy or anyone else had been to a game over there and what the match day experience was like. Um, did I pronounce it correctly? Gelsenkirchen? Yes. I thought so, because I've got a bit of Scandinavian in me, as you know. Uh, well, Schalke, what should we say? It's a great day out. I wouldn't go in this jumper. It's a nice one. And thank you very much. Um, but, Wrong team, though. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, certainly for a, for a visit to, to, to the Veltins Arena. But um, before we get to that, Schalke this season, um, they, they've, they've done okay after a, after a tricky start. Um, they're third at the moment. Um, so they've dropped a few points they wouldn't have wanted to. But I think given how bad last season is, to have themselves in a position where they're in striking distance at the top of the table, I think they're two points off the top as um, we speak, 
is pretty good. They also have been starting all over again. They've shed a lot of big earners, as 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 we know. Um, so and, and they've they've put a self imposed wage cap on 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 the squad as well to try and get things under control because they're in an absolutely dreadful financial state. Um, and they have the ultimate cheat code for the Bundesliga Zwei, mm-hmm. uh, Simon Toroda, who um, doesn't score goals in the top flight, but in the Bundesliga's fight is, is, is a guarantee of 25 or 30 goals in the season. So that's a really good start for them as as well. As far as going to the game, um, Nicholas, you're going to have an amazing time. It's a great place to watch football. Um, really atmospheric. I would say get there early. Get in there early because it's outside Gelsenkirchen. You take, you take the tram up. There's not that much around the stadium although there is the museum if that's open because of course Schalke have a glorious history and um, they were the pre-Bayern first giants really of of, of German football so that's that's really interesting but just soak up as much as the atmosphere as, as, as you can because it is loud and it is great. It's a good shout. Uh, I think we're all going there as well. We'll see you there, Nicholas. And this from Peter, with the talk of the importance of sporting directors or directors of football for both Spurs and Newcastle this week, who are some of the best up-and-comers around Europe, David? There's, there's a lot of runners and riders, or are there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think... I don't think there's too many young up-and-comers. I think, you know, we've, we've discussed Ajax on this show and Mark Overmars, I guess, can be classed as a... He's, he's been in that job quite a bit for some time now. But I think he's there. He's going to be somebody, I think, you know, if Ajax continue to be successful, I think he's going to be one that is going to be touted for all the top jobs. Um, and it's also going to be interesting to see where Luis Campos goes next for his next role. I think he's been sought after for a number of years now, even when he was in his position at Lille. So where he ends up next is going to be very interesting. Yeah, it will be very interesting. I think when we talk about future sporting directors, or, or, or sorry, not future sporting directors, but but young up-and-coming sporting directors, one of the most curious cases is uh, the one of um, Pablo Longoria at, um, uh, at Marseille, because... <laughs> He was, he's he's still in his thirties. I think he's thirty four, thirty five. Made sporting director, and then when they had this massive coup earlier in the year, he got promoted to president. So it's it's quite interesting because normally you look at the president as being more of a sort of leadership, fight my club's corner ambassadorial Figured, role. Yeah. But but going for someone who's got skills in scouting and negotiation mm. for that sort of job, it's quite interesting. And in a way, I suppose we're missing out on a sporting director who would be targeted by other clubs because he's been given the key to the whole place. I mean, he negotiated some very good deals there. He pieced together painstakingly the move to get Arcadius Milik from Napoli, which no one, including me, thought was remotely on until he actually got him through the the door. And he did a brilliant job on that. And there is the feeling that um, he's he's still very involved in transfers there. Um, he's, he's done well in terms of them cleaning house and in terms of them getting useful players on low low relatively low cost loans you look at um how well Paulo Lopez has done so far after coming over from Roma um Genghis Under who didn't really do much at Leicester has revived his form there Matteo Genduzzi who a lot of clubs wouldn't touch has got himself into the French national team there so he's very good at spotting a player he's very good at doing a deal but whether he's 
future is as a sporting director now because he's been promoted to president? Well, I mean, once you're on the stake, you're not going to go back to McDonald's, are you? But how... <laughs> that is exactly what Paul Newman said when somebody asked him why had he and his wife stayed married so long, unlike other Hollywood stars. But we'll leave that to one side. A sporting director, though, David, it's obviously always filled with controversy from the fans' perspective. With, with, with a coach, you can see directly why somebody hires a coach. Mm-hmm. Look at their track record. They've won so many games. They've won so many trophies, etc. I don't quite understand how you make a decision as to who is the right sporting director. You were saying earlier on that you felt that, you know, finally Tottenham sporting directors earning his corn mm-hmm. in tempting Antonio Conte there, for example. I don't know how you what the criteria is for a sporting director, particularly when um, you need a particular type of movement Mm -hmm. within a particular club, because they must, they must, they must have the club's ethos and everything as well. You know, whereas a coach doesn't have to, a coach can just say, well, I'm going to change everything around. But the sporting director must know something about the foundation, you would have thought. Oh, absolutely. I think it's key. I think it's really important. I think if you look at um, Victor Orta at Leeds United, Mm. I think the way, you know, he came over from Spain. He was um, obviously the famous Monchi's right-hand man for quite some time. He had a few jobs in Spain and then he came over to England with Leeds. He's done a goal. I think he's had a few ups and downs there, but generally speaking, I think he's done well. Um, If you look at him and how much he's, taken in Leeds it, it's incredible he he's, feels like part of the furniture there now he feels like he, he knows the city like the back of his hand now and I think that's really important for the fans to to see I think especially so in England you see it's a controversial one it is a controversial subject I think only in England I think everywhere else in Europe have, have completely have acclimatised to it. it's a normal thing absolutely in England there's still a strange you know view on it even with Patricci, um and what we've seen at Spurs as well people saying what's his role what's, his, what's he exactly going to do I think when the owner will interview a manager, uh, sorry, a sporting director, he'll have in mind of, you know, what he wants. He'll maybe say, look, we are a smaller club. We need to basically scour the market, find some cheap players that we could potentially flip, sell on, earn some money for the club. He'll have another club potentially who said, right, look, we've got a good team here. We, we're a very big team. We've got a lot of money. Uh, we need you to spend the money, that the lot of money that we have in the correct manner and not just splash it out, you know, everywhere. Um, so there's always going to be different you know, ways to, to do that. I think, for instance, we're going back to Monchi, uh, he was very comfortable at Sevilla and the way that they operated, they bought players in to basically have a few good years. They flipped them for incredibly high prices. I think when he went to Roma, his remit was different and it, it was strange for him. I don't, I don't think he could really, I think they really wanted to build something huge there. Whereas at Sevilla, I think it was basically punching in and, and just, you know, he knew exactly what their philosophy and their, their ethos was. So, guys, it's dinner time or perhaps lunchtime. We've already mentioned Black Forest Gatto and Pate. Uh, so we're going to ask you if you can tempt us uh, with a food menu today. But can we start off with the, the game that goes with the food, as it were? <laughs> Your game of the week. <laughs> you laugh, Andy. Are you ready for this? I know, I know what David's going for. Go okay. on, go on. Put me out of my misery. You know what game I'm going for? Are you going? You know what food I'm going for? Oh no, I don't know what food you're going All for. All right. So the important part. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, the game I'm going for is uh, the uh, for me the best derby in in Europe. I don't think it's quite the world, but it's definitely up there for me. And that's uh, Real Betis versus Sevilla. Um, very passionate, fiery uh, Seville derby. 
stands will be packed, streets will be packed. It's going to be it, it's going to be a bit of an occasion. It also what's really really nice is both teams are doing very well in the league. I think often when they have met, um, Betis have been languishing maybe down the near the relegation zone. Sevilla are there with their aspirations of uh, Champions League places and such. Whereas right now they're, they're separated. You, you know they're both Sevilla are third, Betis are fifth. Um, two points separating them sorry three points separating them so if Betis win they get going level one points with Sevilla um, I think it's going to be a really fascinating one and uh, to enjoy that game I think some chorizo alvino would be really nice so some chorizo in wine yeah. would be very very nice yeah, yeah I'm tasting it already I feel it follow that Andy well, he's, he's, you're straight round his house no? yeah, of course <laughs> I am yeah, fantastic well, in, in unless the, you can send me otherwise in, in that case food wise first <laughs> in, in that case um, we're going to have to go I suppose we're going to have to go for the the Milan derby mm. between Milan and Inter mm. Sunday night and there's a lot on it because Milan have started the season so fantastically well Um uh, in in the league that and again we're talking about clubs who are doing brilliantly in the league that have, but have really struggled in the Champions League and they were lucky not to get beaten by Porto this week which would have left them with no points so far and I think sometimes people expect too much from Milan in the Champions League context I mean they've not been, been in it since 2013-14 and they've got quite a young side give or take Zlatan and Giroud so um, I, I I think you look at what they've done. Of course, they're level with points. There's a big gap opened up between Napoli and Milan and the rest already. So Inter have to go for this, which I think makes it really, really interesting. Inter have done better than people thought they would um, under Simone and Zaghi at the start. Um, Edin Dzeko has been an intelligent signing. They've even won these two games against Sheriff in the Champions League. So I'm, I'm sure there's a bit around the corner where they shoot themselves in the foot because that's what they always do in the Champions League. But um, domestically, even though they've not really done much wrong, they need to go and win this already when we're in the the, the, the first weekend in November, which I think makes it really, really interesting. I think the problem is with the food. I'm watching so much football on a Sunday I don't have time. You're going straight around, David. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have time to cook you a three-courser. You come around Monday night, it's a different story. Dear, oh dear. But uh, I think... Do I not I'd, like I'd what's take, coming? I'd take some fresh linguine with um, my middle-class indulgence of choice, a bit of uh, a bit of truffle pesto and some nice <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah. And um, I'll t- I tell you what, if you could... Send delivery around some of that uh, Chorizo <laughs> Alvino as well. I, I, I thought, think it'd be a lovely accompaniment. I thought for a second there was going to be a big cop out and he was like, I'm just going to order pizza in there. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I hope Deliveroo are sponsoring this podcast, you know. The things we do for them. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.